Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 133 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This week, we've got a great guest joining us, Bill Bommel. He's the managing director over at the Ohio Innovation Fund, and he's got a great vision for Columbus and a lot of great food for thought. His career and journey from starting in venture capital at a firm in Minnesota, going out to Silicon Valley, and then coming back out here to Ohio, has got a lot of great insight, and I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Before we get to that, I want to take a quick moment, as usual, to thank all the incredible sponsors and supporters here at Conquering Columbus. So I'm going to kick it over to Josh to tell you a little more about our first sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state, and you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we're really excited. We've got Bill Bommel joining us, and Bill is the Managing Director of the Ohio Innovation Fund. And Bill has over 20 years of experience and close ties with a significant network of key Silicon Valley leaders. Uh, he spent his career investing in venture capital-backed emerging growth companies, and he was awarded Venture 100 status as one of the top 100 VCs in the United States with successful exits via multiple initial public offerings or IPOs, and acquisitions by companies such as Medtronic, Dell, SAP, Intuit, and Stryker, and having served as a CEO, COO, and a CFO of successful public and private companies, 
He understands what it takes to build and scale a leading company in high growth markets. We're really excited to have him here on the show today to talk about all of that and uh, everything the Ohio Innovation Fund has going on. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Bill. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot for joining us today. Um, usually where we kind of like to start really is kick it back a little bit, talk a little bit about kind of your upbringing, college, early career, kind of anything that fits into your path and what brought you to today. So, sure, be glad to. So I actually grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I uh, went to Ohio State undergraduate, University of Michigan graduate school, so both, uh, both schools. And uh, spent um, about five years in, uh, in Minneapolis in a venture capital firm. They got my first introduction to venture capital, primarily investing on the East Coast, but also investing in Chicago and Minneapolis. So a little bit familiar with Midwestern VC investing. When I was there, I was contacted by a Silicon Valley-based firm and uh, went out to Silicon Valley about 18 years ago and spent the last 18 years out in, in Silicon Valley. Uh, as you would mentioned, had a number of initial public offerings and acquisitions, a lot in the uh, software area, software as a service, cybersecurity, data science, mostly on the tech side. Um, but all the firms I've ever been involved with have done both tech and med tech, so I do have experience in, in both sides. Um, I'd been, you know, just keeping in touch with Ohio because we have family here. My wife is from here, and we'd come back every summer and just kind of keeping tabs on thing and things. And, and back in, I'll call it 2007, uh, uh, you know, w went to an uh, OTAF meeting and, and kind of looking at different companies. And, and, you know, one of the companies I looked at was actually a company just developing a product that I knew that there were 15 competitors out in Silicon Valley that had tens of millions of dollars of revenue already. So I kind of behind the times. Fast forwarding to kind of 2015 or so, 2014, 2015, I think with the emergence of the angel and seed networks here uh, through the ESPs like Rev1 and such, the environment had changed dramatically. I saw a number of promising companies that just did not have, you know, either the, the boldness, the, the largest of vision, the capital, and kind of someone helping guide them to fulfill their potential. A lot of companies that could have grown to twenty, fifty, hundred million dollars were growing to one to two million and selling for five to ten million instead of for a hundred, two hundred, five hundred million dollars. And so I thought it was a good time to kind of come back to Ohio and really take on that role as a Series A, you know, venture venture lead, utilizing my experience in the past, you know, in, in Silicon Valley on both the tech and med tech side. I'm glad to be here. What's so exciting to be a young professional here in Columbus and see someone like yourself that saw that vision and decided to take the leap and you thought that that was a lucrative opportunity. Um, it really makes you exciting about the future of, of what the potential is here in Columbus. But I'm curious, before we dive too much into that level of things, I'd like to know just a little bit more about, I mean, you've obviously reached a tremendous uh, level of success in your career, and then I want to know, kind of starting back in undergrad, like, what did you study there, and then what did you focus on in your master's? And when you got done, did you have dreams and aspirations to be what you are today, or did that just kind of, how did that, that unfold? Yeah, that really evolved. Uh, I was always entrepreneurial as a child, you know, doing, a, you had a lawn-cutting business, snow-shoveling business, all that. But of all things at Ohio State, I was in the honors accounting program. Uh, I do enjoy analytical things, numbers, and all that. And then I went out to Deloitte in San Francisco and uh, for my first you know, position, and that was as an auditor. And it was very painful for me. I absolutely couldn't stand it. But uh, so during the, the busy seasons out there, I have larger customers or clients. During the off seasons, they had a practice run, the KKR practice. Um, that would do outsourced due diligence for them, as well as they'd have some private companies to work with. I really found the idea of 
you know, private companies of growth, of no politics and bureaucracy involved, but just how, how do we grow this company, how do we make it more profitable, how to make it more valuable. Very intriguing, actually a, a joint friend of ours. So I went back to a school, I, I went, was thinking about University of Chicago or Michigan, we got a scholarship at Michigan, so I went there, and actually was a TA in the, for the venture capital class there for Professor David Brophy. Getting to know Professor Brophy, getting to know about entrepreneurship, about growth capital, really was exciting. I had an interest in venture capital, very difficult to get in, into that business, into the, into the business, but I was about to go into consulting after my graduation in Boston, and then all of a sudden, Professor Brophy, we had formed the office for the study of private equity finance. We got a call at the last, uh, in April there, where one of the advisory board members said, hey, I need someone in the private markets group here at Brinson Partners in Chicago. And so I went, you know, I went there, interviewed, got the offer the next day, and then all of a sudden canceled the consulting and moved over to Brinson, which was a large entity. So a lot of this is kind of, you know, happenstance or kind of, I, I just wanted to be more involved with growth and entrepreneurship, and that was the next step. At Brinson, uh, I was in charge of some of the tech areas, particularly data networking and some of those areas for a private fund, a private markets fund that's actually a billion dollar fund. So it's a lot at the, I'll call it the larger end, later stage of, of venture capital. And then I got a, uh, a, because I'd been, you know, just investing in the area, I got a random phone call from a recruiter saying, hey, there's a venture firm that needs a, you know, I was just associate at the time, a senior associate on a partner track, uh, offices in Minneapolis and Silicon Valley. You know, are you interested? So I interviewed, actually, um, Brinson was in Chicago, I actually ironically interviewed the recruiter at the Columbus Airport. Uh, he interviewed me, and then I went up to uh, Minneapolis and, uh, and met there, and then, you know, got, got into venture capital and just kind of, of, of kind of evolved from there. So I think all, everyone's story is going to be a little bit different, but if you have a, a passion for having an impact, a passion for growth, for innovation, there, there will be doors that open. We don't know what doors those will be, but there are doors that will open in front of you as you get yourself out there. And the first step may just be to, you know, the first step I had was I was interested in venture capital and just took a venture capital course. So the first step here for a young you know, someone aspiring to be an entrepreneur, maybe just going to some networking events or just some conferences or anything, just get an idea, start meeting people, start hearing about other people's journeys because each one is so different. And as much as you can plan out, no one's was planned. It just is something that happens, but you have to just take that first step. You have to put yourself out there with an interest and then things just happen. And your ability and your willingness to be agile at times to make the leap all the way across the country, like. Um, was there anything holding you back family-wise? Were you just always open to exploring and just trusting the process and knowing that as long as I'm following what I want to do next, it's going to work out? I remember uh, I was asked, because I, I kind of want to be a venture capitalist, or, you know, coming out of Michigan, and, and there was just nothing available at the time uh, before this phone call came in April. So I was talking to Professor Brophy probably in, you know, January, February, saying, hey, kind of what I, you know, do you think I'll ever be a venture capitalist? I'd like to you know, be involved in funding these startups. He said, Bill, you're a guy that will run on thin ice to make something happen in venture capital. So he said, I have no doubt that you will be in venture capital. So it really does take that, hey, I'm just going to make it happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. It just, you know, it, you know I, we, I did not necessarily want to move from the Midwest to Silicon Valley, but it just was a, a necessary step you know, in, in, in my development as a venture capitalist. And, and now to you know, kind of come back full circle here in the Midwest and bring those lessons back to where I started 
is is very rewarding and hopefully rewarding for the state and for our, our members here. So yeah, you have to be continuously willing to take those risks, agile, kind of go with the flow, just like a startup, right? You know, you get out there, you form the first product, you look at it, oh geez, I think this is what it should be. You ask some customers, they tell you no, and you gotta tweak it, then you realize you're asking the wrong customers, you need to go in a different you know, industry or different you know, vertical market. And uh, that's what entrepreneurship innovation is all about. You know, trying and you know, and, and seeing what what happens, then adjusting and just continuously iterating and, and being agile and flexible. And you hear that word a lot, iteration. You know, in the in the industry, and, and it, people talk about it a lot. But I guess what I'm curious about is early on. I'm guessing, um, did you have a lot of experience in the tech and med tech industry, or is that something that you had to really dive full on into when you first got that role? Um, in Chicago, you mentioned you were kind of heading up the tech division. Yeah, yeah. I had to, I had no, I don't have an engineering degree. So I was a BS, uh, an honors accounting program undergraduate, then an MBA at, at Michigan. Um, so I, I try and, you know, uh, supplement that. In other words, I have a, a, a network of CTOs, uh, of technical people that are, are very talented that help me with diligence on the technical side. But uh, no, it was just purely... You know, I, I enjoyed investing. I enjoyed investing in growth, growth, growth companies. And so I spent a lot of time educating myself. Uh, luckily in Chicago, there was at the time, you know, Motorola's there, um, Nextel was there. Uh, they have some of the larger uh, telcos there, a lot of software. So I just would spend time going to conferences, going to visit potential companies and just learn all, you know, all I could, could about the industry. Um, which is, uh, you know, uh, there are, it's probably only 10 to 20% of the venture capitalists kind of go through that. We most come through more of a product management or entrepreneurship track. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just going out there and learning it on my own. So you make it out to Silicon Valley, and then what does your path look like? How do things unfold when you make it out there? Yeah, I mean, we, we went through, over the last 17 years, kind of uh, a roller coaster ride. Um, when I first got there uh, was was when things were going great, you know, going into 2001, and uh, you know anything you anything you touch turned to gold, and then uh, <laughs> in 2001 uh, that changed. Um, anything you touched turned to talk, turned to a pile of something, and uh, and uh, but at that time I've never seen anything like it again. But at that time, really, my guess I, I could be wrong. About half the companies really had no biz business being in business. So it wasn't just a downturn in 2001. It was literally like half the companies didn't have a value proposition. Half the software being sold prior to that in the last few years wasn't even implemented ever. Um, so, um, and that was a unique thing that really jolted me early in my career to make sure, okay, there's a real market for this. There's a real value proposition. There's real uniqueness that come. It's not just a nice to have. It's a must have. And, it can, it, and those type of companies can ride um, the you know ups and downs of, of the cycles. And I'll tell you, some of the best investments, the most profitable investments we made, were during coming out of the downturns. Uh, much more focused on cash efficiency, much more sober focus on on the markets, um, a lot more focus on capital efficiency, and then uh, rode that into 2007. Had a major IP though there with Infinera, um, and then 2008, late in 2008, 2009. It happened again. I had three companies uh, with S1s filed going into the downturn of 2009. Mm. But luckily, because those companies were real businesses, although their revenues maybe declined 30% during that time frame, they, they shut, went back up and uh, all three were acquired for between 250 and $800 million. So that was still a po positive outcome. So that was the next kind of roller coaster. And then I think we've been on a kind of an up trajectory the last you know, the last, you know, five, six, uh, 
you know, years or so. But I still see, I mean, although valuations may in certain areas like Silicon Valley be a little bit higher than, you know, a lot of, a lot of unicorns in the private markets and such, um, you know, people are still funding real businesses that are generating revenue and, and, and you know, and generating margin and are, you know, are relevant. So. It's interesting to hear you you talk about that perspective about in the downturn the people who are efficient with their capital and, and have real businesses at their core the ones who end up making it and intuitively it makes a lot of sense but what i'm curious about because i mean not everybody can die in those downturns um, what were you doing or you and your team doing to identify those core strong business concepts like were you going in and, and realizing whether they had a strong proof of concept and what does the evaluation process look like when you're first looking at a company and you're saying okay what is this product and can this product make it yeah yeah i mean it really, in terms of, I, I learned a lot through the downturn of, of 2001, 2002, that, you know, really, for the overall evaluation is pretty simple. Can they explain what they're doing in, in a couple of sentences? You know, if something takes 30 minutes to explain, that means it's probably not that, you know, it's either complicated or just not that powerful. If you look at no matter, you know, you take a very practical example, and you take one that's very technical. But in either case, like in case of Dexcom, you say, okay, if you're a diabetic, rather than pricking my finger, trying to remember to prick my finger and take my reading and, you know, and, then, and then see where I'm at and then maybe try again all that, what if I had a device that sat on, you know, on my stomach and every five minutes gave me a continuous reading on my glucose? Am I too high? Am I too low? If I'm too high, I'm on my way up, therefore need some insulin, or I'm too high on my way down, therefore don't take insulin, or at night I'm too low and I'm crashing, therefore it kind of wakes me up so I don't crash at night. That's a very powerful proposition, very simple to explain that I think anyone involved with diabetes will understand. So it's kind of sorting through from that perspective, does this stuff make sense? You take something that's very, very technical, indium phosphide chips, and you say, well, geez, how can you, that be made simple? Okay, well, if I told you, without understanding even how data networking works, that I have a company that takes 200 components that typically go of varying sizes into a data communications networking device. 200, 300 components. Takes all of them and puts them on a single chip the size of your fingernail. You're probably thinking, okay, small, cheaper, maybe more, and it's back, it's mostly in software versus hardware. Okay, more flexible, okay, that's in Finera. Mm -hmm. Now you don't need to know all the details about well, how does indium phosphate, I mean, you know, that, you know, it, it's really looking at that, you know, those powerful value propositions. Um, and that's where you make money. And, and we, in the case of the first downturn, there wasn't much to, sift through in terms of uh, kind of diamonds and rough because most of it was junk. So we actually formed new solid companies. In the second downturn, we doubled down on those companies that we felt most. Uh, for example, I think at the time of the, of, of the uh, second downturn, we had a couple million dollars into a company uh, called Blue Arc. We ended up putting another five million in. And within three years, we made like eight times, ten times the money on that, uh, on that last five million. So, you know, if, if you, if you, make bold moves in a downturn, um, if you're able to, uh, you know, that's, it, it turns out to be pretty profitable because the competition goes away, like I said, much more cash efficient. Um, and so we don't have had a downturn recently, but if we do, it'd be the same lessons, but it's the same lessons in terms of the downturn when you're doing your business, right? There's gonna be highs and lows. You just gotta, you know, just sit there and really, that's, I think one of the advantages of not being an engineer is that I don't get lost in the technical details. Oh, what's the programming language? What's this? What's that? It's, yeah, I got I to have a technical person next to me to make sure it all makes sense and works. But, you know, what is that core value proposition? I think any entrepreneur out there listening tonight should say, okay, 
if I had to be in an elevator with, with someone that doesn't understand business at all, how to explain wh what I'm doing and why it's important? If they ask me the question, well, is, is that something people really have a pain point on that they really must have or just kind of nice to have? Can you answer that question very simply and powerfully? And if you can, and you say, okay, there's a market there then. And then you say, okay, do I have the skill set to actually do this? And if not, I may have the skill set technically, but or, or in the develop, product development, I don't have the skill set to sell, I don't have the skill set to market. Then surround yourself with a you know a, a powerful team. And and the last thing is too, you know, a competition will come, so make sure you have some sort of advantage. In some cases, it may be a first mover advantage, which means you got to run very very fast, or it may be a technical advantage. It may be you know uh, a, a different type of advantage. But that's kind of how we peel through businesses at a very high level. The people that lose money and the business got a business wink. It's when things get very complicated, very detailed. And I know running a business, you got there's a lot of metrics and all that to run a business, but at a high level, if, if it's not simple, if it's not concise, powerful, impactful, if it's complicated and just, you know, it, it's just not going to work. Because if you can't explain it to someone very quickly, how do you explain it to your customers? How do you get that message out there? Right. No, that, I, it's a really interesting way to put that it gives me a lot of perspective I mean just from the way I think about the way so you know, obviously Josh and I work at a startup here during the day and the way you sell your product day to day it definitely something to think about um, I guess probably the next place to jump into would be talk a little bit about what your day-to-day -day looks like today yeah uh, and kind of you know where you're going what your current initiatives are um, you know maybe what a typical day looks like for you yeah yeah I'm pretty much I mean uh, and that's one of the reasons I came back um, to Ohio obviously one attraction was just the opportunity set here uh, in terms of what I saw as far as under um, underdeveloped companies that really could fulfill the potential, family, uh, you know. Um, but the other piece was um, really the, uh, to get back to entrepreneurship. I was in Silicon Valley, pretty much starting to invest with the same people. There's one CEO who, within three years, started it and, and sold two um, cloud-based storage companies for $800 million plus, invest in the same people. So. Uh, it was it was something new for me, and that's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm kind of an entrepreneur that happens to be a venture capital entrepreneur. We started this from scratch, just myself. We've added on from there, have, have partners now, and and, and, and a group that and, and people that work with us from marketing and finance to investments and all that. And every day is different, just like it's for an entrepreneur. I mean, today I just listed some things that we we did today. I mean, I was working on two Series B closings, a major acquisition, a major customer deal, a presentation for a strategic partner beta customer referrals, a marketing strategy, and I took an intern to lunch. So that was my day. And that's kind of any entrepreneur's day, right? There's always things to kind of, and I just look at, okay, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you know, growing a venture capital firm, what, you know, and as an entrepreneur growing a company, when I'm helping these companies, what are the barriers to growth? You have to identify those and strip them out of the way. Is it, is it myself <laughs> that I need to compliment myself with other people? Is the product's not good enough? I need to, is it the wrong market, the wrong market application, what have you? And I spend all my day, and I have to be proactive too. So my days are not just sitting back there waiting for the phone to ring. I, I go for each of my companies every day and say, what, what's, what's going wrong in these companies? And even companies are growing 100%. You know, there's one company up in Cleveland. They grew from uh, like a few hundred thousand to a, mi a million to two and a half million, probably next year, four or five million. Great, right? Software company making a lot of money. I'm like, okay, yeah, how do we, we're now landing all these major customers. Um, how do we expand at them? And we had our first expansion happen, which was a $300,000 customer. It's turned into a $2 million five-year deal, and we're doing that. So I'm constantly just looking at, okay, how do I do what we're doing better? How do we move faster? How, you know, 
because competition is coming. And I think one of the things here in Ohio people have to do is not only think bigger, but move faster. If you have a great idea, um, you know, I mean, unless it's a really localized market, there are smart people in Columbus and Cleveland and Boston and Austin and Silicon Valley and, and, and internationally that will try and do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I spend my days. How I spend my nights is uh, I'm, I, I like tonight, later on, I'll have uh, basketball and baseball practice. So with my kids, I spend a lot of time up in uh, probably coach about four or five basketball teams, uh, two or three baseball teams, and a couple football teams each year. So <laughs> I enjoy that. I know you guys have a love of sports, so yeah. I still uh, am active there. I'm not quite in enough shape to still run on, on Sundays on basketball, but I'm trying to get back to that. So you clearly have a tremendous growth mindset, and I, and I would guess, um, you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess a lot of that might be rooted in the experiences that you had and the people you surrounded yourself with in Silicon Valley, because out there, um, they've seen a lot of things explode. I think they really believe that big things can happen. I think maybe some of the apprehension here in Columbus is that people haven't experienced it yet, so maybe they don't quite believe it to the full extent. Like, you see some companies that are experiencing growth, but you're saying they're not going as fast enough. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, and I, and I experience it here daily is why I say it, that I don't know if some people believe that it can actually happen to them because we're just a small Midwest city. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I would be curious to hear your thoughts on that. And then also as a twofold question, um, you talked about surrounding yourself by the right people. And I think when people first are growing their careers, they kind of find that difficult because they don't have as strong of a network. Um, you left your network to come back here to Columbus. I'm sure you still knew people, but how did you go about finding the right group of people to surround yourself with to then grow something successful all over again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of you know growth in, in Silicon Valley, it is something that we have not experienced here as much to see it's real. I mean, I take the case of Infinera, where at least in ballpark, grew from zero to $500 million in revenue in about three years. And that's, you know, and obviously that's probably still not the level that Google grew at. Uh, I was consulting with another company in the autonomous vehicle area that grew rapidly as well. So, I mean, you know, to grow from nothing to hundreds of millions of dollars in a few years is not unusual. I mean, it's great. It's, it's top, top quartile up there, but it's not mm -hmm. like a, an aberration. Right. If, if you pick the right markets, it, it can happen. And, but it's not without, I mean, you take, I mentioned Infinera with combining those 200 components of the side, uh, chip to sign your fingernail. Didn't even know if that would work or not, right? I mean, we didn't know if, it, it sounds great, but can we do it? I mean, we had a team that we thought could do it, but, you know, even going back to the glucose monitors, talking about it at Dexcom, they had a fellow there who was trying to make the thing work. They called him MacGyver because he's just trying to make, you know, do all this stuff to try and make this thing work. Um, so there's a lot of uh, struggles, but it's just that that fortitude, that's and that's belief that you know it, that you you can make it happen. Once you actually have something that makes sense, whether it's a you know retail thing, a, a restaurant, a technology company, a service company, whatever it is. If it makes sense, particularly the nice part about Columbus is we're pretty much a microcosm of the United States. So if it's going to work here, it's probably going to work nationally, if not globally. Um, and so, you know, it, it's something that 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 can happen. And uh, it, but until and that's part of our role at OIF right now is really, you know, we're gonna, typically we'd have a venture fund of, of let's say 12 to 15 companies. We're probably going to do 20 to 25. Um, just to have more companies have more impact, but also have more success. Because I think once people see those companies grow and see the exits, you know, hey, this company was sold for you know a couple hundred million dollars. Hey, this company did this. Hey, this company did that. You know, that that'll tangibly, yeah, that's what kind of happened in Silicon Valley. I mean, all of a sudden at Ohio State, if a professor's coming up in a Bentley, you know, the other professor, how do you get that Bentley and that Ferrari? Yeah. I want one of those. 
Well, he started. He, he took his his research was very commercially focused. He took that, licensed it, and created a great company, which we just did recently with a guy, uh, Emery, who's a professor, Emery Coxell, over at Ohio State, computer sciences professor, uh, had an idea in the cybersecurity area, and said, "Hey, I want to you know do this." So we went to TCO, got the license, and now and that gets into you know building the network. It is a little bit easier for me to network here just because of of, of the Silicon Valley connections. That's just something you have to get out and do. And I'll tell you what. Good people and the right people are attracted to the right ideas. So if you can, you know, there's a certain, as you know yourselves, I mean, a lot of people that are in startups could not spend 30 years on the corporate ladder at a Fortune 500 company, you know, doing that gig. It just, it just drive them nuts. It's just a different mindset, a different way. So if you attract those type of people that are more innovative, more just, you know, making things happen, um, and if you have a good, if you can really articulate what you're doing, people will be drawn to that. I mean, you take Jeff Schumann over at Wiretap here, who we funded. He came out of Nationwide. Um, and as Wiretap, we are having phenomenal uh, ability to, to, to hire. I mean, the, the quality of the, of the employees we have over there is phenomenal. We've attracted Facebook as a partner. We've attracted Microsoft as a partner. We've attracted an advisor from Silicon Valley who was the founders of Box. Uh, we've attracted an advisor from Silicon Valley who was SVP of Worldwide Sales of Barracuda, which is a, uh, a cybersecurity company. He now runs uh, Chief Revenue Officer for ChargePoint, which is all the electric car charging stations, just because of the vision. And, you know, and so this, and, and Jeff is very charismatic, but he's, he was at Nationwide two years ago. You know, so, it, you know, you, you can a- attract those people, but you got to, again, put yourself out there, um, you know, get, get, just network as much as you can. And and uh, and they it, it will happen. I mean, you, you, it, it does happen when, if it's up to you to make it happen just by getting out there. A connection will yield another connection will yield another connection. Yeah, and I feel like you know here in Columbus we're starting to feel a little bit of that growth. Like with yeah. the very very like start yeah. of just people starting to think like, hey, maybe we can do this, right? Yeah. And it just gets you get a lot of excitement, a lot of community. Um, you know, the community is very supportive of one another. But uh, in terms of you personally, so. In terms of your goals for the fund and what your goals personally are for the next like five ten years, um, can you kind of take us through that? Are you the type of person who writes your goals out? Do you you know have a plan, a detailed plan to re-hit your goals, or um, are you more of a hey, this is kind of where I want to go, but yeah, you know, wherever it takes me. Kind of yeah, I, I think as an entrepreneur, I mean, um, and as a in the venture capital area, I've had to be very, particularly in Ohio, very opportunistic. Because, I mean, I did not come, you know, one of our largest companies that do north of $30 million this year, uh, you know, was one of my first investments. And it did, it was a, a far lower level when I, when I invested in it. But I didn't think I was going to come to Ohio and invest in this company, which happens to be a biorepository for um, lab samples. I mean, I had no idea coming from, I thought I was going to, you know, software as a service, all this type of stuff. So I had to be um, very, uh, very flexible and adaptable to changing locations. Right now, I mean, you couldn't go back, you know, if you look at what was successful, before Facebook was successful, you go back 10 years back, no one was writing about the next trend is going to be social network. I mean, these things just happen. You have to see them. I mean, you know, jump on them, uh, those sorts of things. But from a broad brush perspective, I mean, I, I would like out of these first 20, 25 companies to have enough success that to validate the, the venture market here in Ohio. I think we're seeing validation among strategics, which is good, because uh, we have the Facebooks, the Microsofts I mentioned earlier, uh, Sanofi, the pharmaceutical company just invested in Able Injections, um, Citi just invested in, and uh, Dell just invested in Amuta along with Daimler and some others. So I mean, we're having more and more strategics 
kind of come here and, and co-invest with our companies and, and put significant capital and form significant partnerships. And we're starting to see the venture firms follow that. But as we have the exits we're anticipating happen, so I really would like a number of exits. If it can't be north of $100 million, that probably doesn't get their attention. I mean, I'd like to have it a few hundred million dollars. Obviously, a billion plus would be great as well. But if we can have the type of exits that make it worth it to come here, that's my goal for the first fund. And I think for the second fund, it's just to build on that. We're really, I think, uh, our, our goal is to take, you know, we want to you know, put a few million dollars in a company, ultimately own 10, 15, 20% of the company and work with 15 to 20 companies for per, per portfolio and just really grow those to be a success. But another big part of what we do, and that my partner, Jill Raderstorff, runs this, is our intern program. And, and, and so we kind of view ourselves as, as proving out this market from a venture return perspective and from a success perspective. Part of that is, is mentoring our management teams. I mean, some like Enable Injections, the CEO there is taking the company public. So that's, but that's usually the exception, not the rule. Most of the time, these are new entrepreneurs that haven't seen the pitfalls, that haven't been through the growth and need, uh, you know, and, and us providing that kind of experience, um, you know, it, it, it is very helpful. But as we, you know, as, as we go forward, we want to mentor these management teams so that each company you know, wiretap when it's ultimately, it's already very successful, when it ultimately has a successful exit, that five companies spin out of there. Just like in Silicon Valley out of, you know, Fairchild Semiconductor, Intel, and Kleiner, all that spun out. Same thing here. And same with the next generation of entrepreneurs. So we actually have an intern program where this year we'll have about 20 students that will come through that at OIF, and about 30 students will actually be out of our portfolio companies. Just, and this is graduate level, undergraduate level from different institutions, Ohio State, Kenyon, Ohio University, Kent State, you know, Akron, Toledo, kind of all over, all throughout the state um, in, different, in different areas. Some are interested in, oh, I'm interested in life sciences. Some are interested in, oh, I'm interested in tech. Some are interested in starting a business. Some are interested in more of the legal aspects or financial aspects or operational aspects. And uh, so we also, I think we want to be, you know, the, the venture capital firm here in Ohio with really and being known for having the most impact and most hands-on, being the most hands-on with these companies and growing highly successful companies, but also helping to create this eco ecosystem and a legacy where we multiply ourselves. Our companies multiply themselves because Wiretap became eventually five or seven different startups, and Able Injection became multiple startups. But also through the uh, through the interns we have that they're out there. I mean, I just today got a call from uh, from a uh, this is our first intern. Uh, back two years ago, um, I got a call from a, uh, a, a entrepreneurship company that he wants to be in a, a senior kind of a business role there. Um, he wasn't much for the venture side. He loved operations within startups. So after OIF, he went and did that. Now he's you know applying for a senior role, and I'm serving as a as as a reference for that. So just seeing that happen and seeing that growth happen, mm -hmm. um, I think will be very re rewarding. So it goes beyond just traditional venture capital, really. And seeing new industries here in Ohio, where people don't choose between you know, Goodyear and Nationwide and Procter and Gamble, they're choosing between data science and med tech and, and, and all sorts of cybersecurity and all sorts of you know, advanced manufacturing, all sorts of innovative and, 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 you know, and entrepreneurial type opportunities. And I think one of our final questions before we wrap up with our last one, um, and something that's been intriguing to me as I learned more about the venture capital spaces that the public um, sector is shrinking more and more capital is being infused in the private sector and venture capital area. Um, do you have any thoughts on that trend? Do you see that continuing into the future? Do you see the VC um, funding for companies continue to grow more and more as we're looking at more and more tech startups and things like that? And it almost seems like um, the days of the 
the long-standing Fortune 500s that were not disrupted for 20, 30 years is kind of uh, dissipating. But I say that from a naive perspective because obviously I haven't yeah. seen very much of it. So. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. I mean, but so, there's a the interesting thing is is there are a few tech companies that are larger, like Apple, Facebook, um, and Google, that continue to reinvent themselves or add new things and all that. So they are kind of evolving with the times for the most part. But absolutely, I mean, we're just, I think, at the early phases of what data science, artificial intelligence, machine learning, med tech. I mean, historically, med tech was so much mechanical engineering based or, or what have you. I mean, there's obviously biopharma as well, personalized medicine, how that's evolving, you know, medical diagnostics using artificial intelligence. There just is, is so much going on right now, whether it's in, in, in med tech or in, in traditional technology that I think those investments in the private area and venture capital is just going to continue to blossom. And like you said, there is also a trend of, of private companies staying private longer. I mean, we didn't have that. I mean, I was talking to a fellow that was one of the leading uh, late-stage investors out in Silicon Valley. He said, you know, 10 years ago, a $20 million it was what a late-stage deal was. And maybe they put in 10 as a lead and then other people put in 10. Now, late-stage deal is 20 million or 30, I'm sorry, 200 million or $300 million for 10% of a company. So that's definitely growing, growing as well. Yeah, I mean, Uber comes to mind. I mean, I think they're yeah. finally considering an IPO at this yeah. point. But they're like, what, like, <laughs> like a ridiculous, like $9 billion yeah. or like something yeah. like, oh, yeah. we're finally ready to think about maybe doing an IPO. But it, it used to be like a, once you started approaching $100 million in revenue, that's right. time to think. It's like, okay, yeah, but, but uh, yeah, so I guess that's probably a good place to kind of wrap into our last question of the show. It's centered around the theme on Conquering Columbus, which is uh, live uncomfortably. Yeah. And, you know, without telling you why we chose it or, you know, anything like that, what do you think of when you hear the phrase and how might you apply it to your life and career? Okay. I mean, there's an entrepreneurship and, and what I've done, it's always like Professor Brophy said, I'm going, I'm running on a thin ice or potential thin ice. I mean, you know, you, moving from, you know, Chicago to Minneapolis, moving that most, mostly out to Silicon Valley, where when I moved out there, I had no, no family, no connections, nothing. Coming back here, all that's very uncomfortable. I mean, it's, it's ra it, every day is rapid change, rapid. I mean, it, it, it's really being able to go out there and just take those risks. Take those risks and just have, you know, most venture capitalists are successful or successful, not because they're blind, they have rose-colored glasses on, but they have that, they, they know they can make it successful. They just, you know, they're just, they're out there. They have the fortitude to see it through. Um, and they, they want to know about problems. They want to know about issues. You know, usually in, in, in life, people don't like change. People don't like problems. You know, they try and bury problems. They try and not have change. But, you know, that's what this has been all about. I mean, coming back to Columbus, coming back to Ohio, there's a lot of things to overcome that were uncomfortable and still are uncomfortable. I mean, the culture here in Ohio is more of a Fortune 500 government culture than it is an entrepreneurial culture. And my guess is if you would go back in 2014, and, and it may not be much higher now, and say, hey, would a venture capital fund focused on Ohio be able to be somewhat successful? My guess would be 99% no and 1% yes. <laughs> and that's, you know, and hopefully that's changing with what's happening here. But I mean, mm -hmm. it's it just, for me, it's, it's, it's going out there and just putting yourself out there, following your dreams, following your passion, realizing the risk, and you know what stuff's going to happen. There's ups and downs. There's upturns and downturns. And and you know what? When when you get hit, get back up, learn from it, and just take the next step forward. So kind of to me, that's kind of living uncomfortably because each day is you know. But it's also exciting because um, each day is new. Each day is new issues, new problems. You know, it's not the same old, same old. 
and uh, and you know, and, and, and it's, it's stressful, right? I mean, I had one startup where it was about to go out of business a long time ago, but got out of business. That we, everyone lost their health care. The office manager was about to have twins. We had three people in cancer treatment. That's you know, there's stressful things there. We got the company sold and all that, but it's just part of entrepreneurship. And it's really, but it's not a boring life. It's a very exciting life. So, I guess that's the best I can answer it. I think that's a great answer, Bill. All right. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you. Same here. Yeah, and All Conquerors, right. thanks for tuning in. That was Bill Bommel. He's the managing director over at the Ohio Innovation Fund. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our next sponsor is Share. For the rides that you take the most, ride with Share. Share is a new transportation company now driving Columbus. Schedule your ride and Share picks you up at your door with professional drivers and a growing fleet of connected vehicles. Share is now hiring with entry-level management positions available. You can learn more about careers with Share at drivewithshare.com. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook, And be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.